Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. Thank you again for joining us, however virtual that may be. Soon it may be in person. Our guest today is very special. It's our co-host, Hillary Allen. Welcome, Hillary. Hey, Buzz. Nice to be here. And yeah, it's interesting that, you know, you're interviewing me or I'm interviewing you. I guess we'll see. <laughs> Indeed. We're going to have a great conversation is how this normally goes, as we always do. And you've done about four podcasts for uh, Fastest Known Time. But before that, you did podcasts for Strava. You've done podcasts for Train, right? You're, you're like a pro podcaster, aren't you? I think so. But honestly, it started, I think, with you because I was, you asked me to be the co-host for, um, you know, the inaugural uh, at Fastest Known Awards um, several years ago. And it was just so much fun. Actually, I think that was kind of my introduction to co-hosting. Oh. I got my love. So it's thanks to you, Buzz. Started a oh. podcasting career. <laughs> <laughs> podcasting career. Well, thank you for joining us. That's right. The FKT of the year. And hopefully we'll keep doing that one. You're also a TNF of the North Face athlete and still actively running, sort of, mostly. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, gravel biking when we do that together. <laughs> That's right. Now, this is, now this, this kind of gets to me. So you are a sponsor. You have sponsors for your gravel riding. Your bikes, your bikes are better than my bikes. And, you know. If you're a runner, you don't care about that. No one says your shoes are better than my shoes. But in cycling, it's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Like everyone looks at the bike. Yeah, it actually – and now I never pictured myself as a bike nerd. I'm completely a bike nerd now. I have <laughs> – like I have two gravel bikes. Both of them have power meters on them. Oh, my gosh. They're like matchy-matchy with the colors and like the decals. You've seen both of my bikes, Buzz, and they – they're pretty. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. They're like purple. Isn't that like this yeah. deep purple? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. No, I showed up there. I was like, dang, I feel a little off the back here already. So good job. And we will be in Emporia, Kansas. And when is that, Hillary? Another six weeks, something like that? Yeah, it's the first weekend in June. Um, I'm super excited. That race is so much fun. <laughs> Well, 200 miles of gravel in Kansas, so you are at one tough cookie, if you think that's fun. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out this year, Buzz. I think you're going to love it. Okay. All right. And what else do you have going, Hillary? I think you've got a few things in the works right now, don't you? Yeah. Right now, actually, I'm in the middle of, a, I guess, a virtual book tour. I just published my book on April 6th of this year. Um, you kind of published a book! Yeah, I can add that to the list of, you know, trying to figure out my career path. I'm just, I think my strategy is I'm going to try every career out there and then, you know, land on one that I like or, you know, pick a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of them. <laughs> well, speaking a little more seriously, we, we really do want to talk about your book because you're telling your story. It's, it's an amazing story. And congratulations uh, to publish a book, I think, is way, way harder than any race. I mean, you got to put your butt in the chair. You got to grind it out for months and months. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've always used writing as just a, a form of expression, but you're right. Writing a book is entirely different than writing a short form, you know, essay or blog or short story. Um, you know, it's, 
it's quite difficult. And I was surprised how long it took. It took the better part of a year for me to actually write it all down together. Um, and that doesn't include the editing process. Um, but I mean, in most of that time, I, I was spent so many hours thinking about it. And, you know, so it wasn't just writing, but it was, yeah, I was thinking about it. I'd go out on runs and I'd take my phone with me and record little voice memos. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Wow. I was, uh, I was training for um, TDS at that point. Uh, in 2019 when I was writing the book. And so I was in France and basically the only thing on my agenda was to, um, to write and to train. And so I kind of got in a little rhythm and so I wasn't sitting in my butt the whole time. I was use my runs to think about what I wanted to write and kind of process the story in my head. Well, thank you for the tip on that. Because I, I was truly wondering how you did that. And yeah. did, did you use a ghostwriter? You just wrote it. No, I wrote it. So that was also, that's also the kind of the really difficult thing about writing is because you can't press delete. You know, it's, it's, so once it's done, once it's out there, you know, in book form, I can't just delete this, you know, it's, it's printed. <laughs> you know, people it's, it's, I can't archive it. You know, if I'm feeling self-conscious one day, like it's out there, complete strangers are going to read these words. Um, but it was really important for me to be able to write it. Um, I wanted to own the the copyright. Um, so I worked with a publishing company, a small publishing company, um, Blue Star Press out of Bend, Oregon, um, which, you know, they allowed me to be the writer and own the copyright. And they helped me with the editing process and all of that. So... Yeah. Hillary, that's really impressive. Thanks for filling. We're going to talk about what the contents of the book are here in a minute, but I just wanted to just work with this a little bit because I think writing a book is really hard. A lot of athletes use ghostwriters in order to get it done. You did not, and not only that, but you're your own publisher, so to speak. And, but that's an interesting technique because I think we all have brilliant ideas when we're on a run. Right. The world is clear. It's simple. It's obvious. We know what we're going to do. And as soon as we get back, it's like, oh, crap, what's happening? I don't know what's going on in my life. So you recorded voice memos. Mm -hmm. So you had the good stuff made it into the text. Yeah. And sometimes I sounded crazy. I'd listen to the voice memos again. And I was like, what the heck was I thinking? I was really excited about this idea and it was a piece of crap, but <laughs> it could, you know, like <laughs> it could lead me down, but I was able to admit it. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't put this in there. Um, but I could kind of, it would still get my ideas kind of going and I could kind of pick that spot where I was thinking of. And then I, you know, I was able to kind of pick up where I left off, so to speak. Um, and so that was really interesting for me. And it's a technique that I had never used before, um, to be able to, yeah. Cause I've always had that, that runner's high, like I'm feeling like flooded with ideas when I'm out running, but unless you write it down, whether that's in like, you know, physical, for me, it's physical form of writing. I don't remember it as well. So I wanted to, I didn't want to bring a pen of paper when I was, you know, I'd get all sweaty on my runs. Um, so kind of a voice memo was the next best um, piece because I didn't have to, I could, you know, do it while I was running as opposed to, um, you know, stopping and like writing down a note kind of by like typing it out on my phone. Um, and it was cool because I, I was in Europe at the time traveling and racing. And so I didn't, I was, my training partner was myself. 
So it was a nice way for me to kind of, you know, talk to myself during a run and have a conversation with myself. <laughs> this is brilliant. I think you're onto something there. So good work. I really like that idea. <laughs> and to continue to flesh this out, uh, you have a, you know, a, a strong educational degree. Since the first time we met many years ago, you were quite proud that you were teaching science at a community college. You you know, you were, you were getting it done. You have a master's degree in neuroscience and physiology. So, you know, uh, you have that upbeat personality. You're an excellent runner, but uh, there's something else going on there too. <laughs> yeah, I like to call it, um, I always prided myself on the fact that I wasn't just, you know, an athlete that I could actually hold a conversation to. <laughs> and in fact, I felt like, uh, you know, I was a scientist before I was a runner. Um, you know, that's actually what I spent the majority of my life pursuing. Um, and I think it can take different forms. Sure. I have more of a formal training in, you know, chemistry or, um, you know, not physiology and, and neuroscience, but, um, I think it's kind of the same principles and it's kind of the same principles as problem solving. Um, just writing is a bit more of a creative, um, means, uh, than, you know, cut and dry science and math. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, I'm guessing, and I, I haven't read the book. I should disclose that. It's okay. Uh, we're changing that later. I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop a book off at your front door. I don't know why you weren't the number one on, on the list anyways, Buzz. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> but also, you've been gone. So that's also probably why. <laughs> I've been gone also. But my guess is that you had that massive accident at Tromsø, Norway. Or you you could have died. You're the the girl who lived, you know, as they would say in Harry Potter. But 150 foot fall is no joke. I mean, you you literally could have died. Quite possibly, you couldn't run again, if not walk again, and yet you did come back. So would I be correct in guessing that this journey is part of the book? Yes. Um, so actually chapter one kind of starts with that. And I, I, I go big. I, uh, you know, I lay it all out there. And uh, so the point of the book for me was to kind of not only document my recovery process, um, but more so not just from a physical standpoint. It's, it's not a book about you're an injured runner, read this, and it's a stepwise process in order for you to not be injured again. Um it's to me, it's more of an invitation for others to use these challenges in life to learn from them and to become stronger, to become better athletes and to challenge this idea, especially in the world of athletics that, um, you know, we're, we're basically shadows of, of our past. You know, we're always chasing PRs and wanting to be better, but I think that, even though this accident changed me physically, um, it's made me a better athlete. And to um, you know, hold on to that belief that your best athletic days are still ahead of you, um, no matter what that no matter what that means. And I th I think it's ageless. I think it's it's timeless, and um, it helps us to kind of embrace change and to evolve over um, over time. And you know, let as as we grow older, we can figure out where our interest lies and make new athletic goals. And, um, you know, we're constantly becoming better versions of ourselves. Wow. That's very inspirational. And 
I, I, I've, as everyone listening probably has, been injured a few times. I've been injured severely a few times. Seven surgeries on my end. Of course, you probably beat me on that. How many surgeries have you had? Oh, gosh. Let me tally them up. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five. Oh, gosh. I'm at six. Mm-hmm. But well, you got to Of course, you got, I got a few years on you, too. Only a few, so I don't know. I might, I might catch up with you. <laughs> I hope not. I hope so too. <laughs> I hope we, we should put this on the FKT website. Number of surgeries? No. Uh, no. Okay, never mind. Dark humor is not appropriate here. <laughs> but this is very. This isn't obviously inspirational. And look at you. You know, you're super happy, happy, successful, and of course, I saw you a while after that accident. And you and I had a very frank conversation. We both thought, you know, injuries suck. You know, that, that's kind of what you, in my mind, you tell me, because you wrote this book, you know more about this than I do. But to me, I start with reality, you know, emotional reality. And for me, when I get injured, I don't like it. I'm not going, oh, yeah, no problem. There's a silver lining. It all happens for a reason. I'm going, I hate this. So how did it go for you? I mean, did you... Tell us how you worked your way out of such a difficult place. Yeah. So I I actually, I remember that conversation. This was early on in my recovery with you and I was actually on CU's campus and you were there or nearby, I forget. Um, but we met up and I was on my scooter and, um, I mean, I was frank with you. I, I really appreciated that about our conversation because you got it. You weren't trying to tell me, oh, Hillary, just be grateful that you're alive. I didn't want to hear that. Like (laughs) I was, I was pissed, you know, like I didn't, I didn't choose for this to happen. None of us, you know, choose for injuries to happen. And I wanted, I I felt anger and I felt sadness. And, um, there was a, like a, you know, there was a really honest, um, the book is a really honest expression of that, of the, the sadness and the anger that I felt and the grief that I had to move through in order to then go back to my optimistic self and, you know, fight for something that I really loved. But conversations that, you know, you and I had um, about just saying that injuries suck and I don't want to be here, but I am here. And so I have no choice but to keep moving forward. But that doesn't change the fact that I was upset about it. Um but I couldn't have that conversation with everyone. And a lot of people didn't want to hear it. And so they couldn't understand why I didn't, I didn't only feel grateful. And um, I mean, to be honest, those people really haven't stayed. We haven't stayed friends because it's like, we haven't been able to, I haven't been able to be honest with them about it. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I basically had to accept the darkness, so to speak, um, accept that I couldn't change it and accept kind of where I was, um, be unhappy in that, but at the same time, not let it hold me back from doing the boring PT work. Um, you know, every day I was doing what I could that day to, you know, basically move forward and, um, become a little bit stronger. So the next day I could do like a little bit more. Um, and literally it was just kind of the addition of those days for months on end, um, that I think allowed me 
just, you know, stepwise, well, not really so stepwise, but progression at least um, to become stronger. And honestly, I think it's just because I'm super stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) The truth comes out at the end here. (laughs) I mean, Buzz, have you witnessed my stubbornness? Correct me if I'm wrong, have you? <laughs> well, whoops! Well, uh, we, we'll, we'll 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 stop the conversation, then we'll have a. a, a we're not recording, then we can continue this one. <laughs> so the short answer is yes. Buzz has witnessed it. I am a very stubborn person. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's wow! But we this is fantastic. I really love talking with you because you're alive, upbeat, and honest. Emotional authenticity is key. You just delivered it. I mean, I was furiously scribbling notes for our written show notes with what you said there. It was really good, Hillary. I think hopefully people benefited from hearing that like I just did. And I do think that emotional honesty is something that you and some people like you carry forward and and put out there. Because look at social media now, right? It's we, look at me. And everything's like, Good. You had pictures, someone standing at the edge of Grand Cane, someone in front of the Eiffel Tower, whatever it happens to be. And other people are looking at this going, that isn't me. I'm not having that much fun. You know what I mean? It's sort of an interesting thing. So the dark side of this social media explosion is people feel less than adequate because everyone else looks like they're having more fun than they are. So I think you wrote a book with some emotional honesty saying, yeah, this is this is hard. This is tough. I didn't feel good, but I kept going forward and that worked. And so I think people can relate to that because everyone can do what you did. Absolutely. And I think that that's like the point of the book um, is that you don't have to have fallen off of a hundred, 150 foot, you know, falling off of a cliff. You, you do not have to have shared that experience with me. In in fact, I do not recommend it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's part of one of my, you know, golden rules of life now is that I do not huck anything. So, um, (laughs) uh, but just because I had that experience doesn't mean that you or, you know, people who read the book haven't also experienced suffering or loss, you know, loss of self, um, you know, grief in some form. And, I like to think of writing as um, basically between, you know, the lines or the pages. It's it's space for a community. It's space to have a conversation with the reader, with the author, and people can, you know, relate to the stories that I tell them, to the experiences or the emotions that I that I express. Hopefully, it allows room for them to also relate, and that can create this unique community. I think. Wow, I like that. I like that. People can relate to it. You know, they, they can't really, I don't know. It is sort of interesting. So one looks again on social media and looks like all these people having amazing amounts of fun. Who knows what they're actually feeling. And then someone might think, Ooh, I wish I could be like them. They, you know, keep clicking likes or they can think, Oh, I'll never be like them. Mm-hmm. So either way, it's not real. And I think professional athletes sometimes feel caught in that trap of it's not real. So I call it the Marilyn Monroe complex. Marilyn Monroe, you know, she had difficulty because people idolized her, but she felt they didn't know who she was. And so by telling your honest story in your book, 
then you can trust that when, you know, you're having a conversation with someone, they know it's you, it's really you. And this is how you really do feel. And people can relate to it. They can see themselves. Like you said, they don't have to fall off a 150 foot cliff. They can just be in wherever they are and they can use some of this wisdom to come back. Yeah. And so first of all, I don't know whether to be flattered or not, if, you know, you're comparing me to Marilyn Monroe, but I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I get I get what you're saying because um, it's it's a problem that I think many elite runners have and many people have um, in regards to social media, and it's something that I actually don't really like about social media, and I recognize that early on, um, especially when I was you know about to go into this huge recovery. Um, I thought that the story of you know an injured elite runner was just tired because basically they would disappear. You would never hear from them. And then all of a sudden, the next time you hear from them, they're at the top of the podium or winning again. And no one was kind of leaning into the actual story, the realness, the rawness of what happens. And so I I told myself very early on that I was going to be honest and open about it. And I mean, I literally, you know, shared from uh, the hospital bed this ridiculous, this ridiculous video um, you know, as, as a way to say, hello, like I'm okay. Like, you know, I, my phone was broken, but I needed to like post something because I couldn't reach my family. Um, and it was this, I had tubes coming out of like my, my nose, my chest, and my face was incredibly swollen. And I like, I didn't care because I wanted to just be honest. And I, and that was kind of the beginning of documenting my recovery journey. And I, one of the things I told myself is that I was going to be honest first and foremost for myself, because I feel like if I lied about how I was feeling, that was only going to hurt me in the end. And then second of all, for anyone else who struggled with injury and felt like they were the only ones who were feeling the, this, you know, these, the depths of these, of sadness or, you know, these emotions. And it was really cool because, um, I think uh, the community really stepped up and this, the amount of support that I, you know, received from all like ends of the, of the globe. Um, and in my immediate community in Boulder, um, it was just, it was, I saw the benefits of actually truly being honest in, in that journey. Wow. Yeah. I just feel like writing down everything you say, but you already did. <laughs> you did write down. Wow. This is interesting. You did write down. It suddenly dawned on me. You did write down everything you just said. It's called out and back. So that's, uh, I it's like this. It's not word verbatim, but yeah, you'll see Buzz. You'll have to let me know what you think about it. I, I, I will. A runner's story of survival. Mm -hmm. So, and this applies to other people too. So you are out well, kind of out. You are virtually out promoting this. You've been on a uh, <laughs> a virtual whirlwind of book tours. Yeah. Unfortunately, it has to be virtual, which is too bad because you're yeah. so good. You're so good in person and charismatic. People would like to interact with you. Yeah. So we have to do it in this fashion. Well, I think. I mean, like in, so hopefully the end of, I'm going to be fully vaccinated in May. And um, as things open up, I'm planning to rent a van and head to the West coast, uh, the beginning of June and do, um, what is now coined an unconventional book tour. <laughs> if you'd get the pun there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so hopefully I can do some in-person events, um, 
you know, like outside and uh, where it's nice and warm in California. <laughs> uh, Unlike Boulder, Colorado. Moment, yes. <laughs> which received 14 inches of snow three days ago. But yeah, good idea. Now you do have a couple live chats coming up. And by the way, everyone listening, the link to the Hilly Goat website will be uh, in the written show notes. So definitely go there, click on the book, and you'll see the upcoming virtual and in-person events calendar. Your next one on May 7th, the live chat, Women's Running Magazine Book Club. So anyone can sign into that one, I imagine. Yeah. And so all of these things are free. Um, and I've been doing some several, you know, Instagram live things and interviews. And so there's plenty of ways for you to interact. And actually at the moment, if you visit my website, uh, hillaryallen.com, which Buzz said will be in the show notes, um, you can enter my mailing list. And I actually have written uh, a little book club of my own. So if you read my book, you can kind of go through and participate in some of these dis like discussion questions or challenges. It's supposed to be really fun and playful. Um, and there's some, if you join my mailing list, there's some uh, fun kind of little contests for the book giveaways that you can join. So just trying to, just trying to engage the community as much as possible. So. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, HillaryAllen.com and on the, you can see the virtual events. And like you said, coming in the summer, you'll probably be adding in-person events on the road to California van life. So you can do a hashtag van life while you're doing your virtual book tour. Oh yeah. I can't okay. wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So unfortunately I don't have this book in front of me, but is there something that you would like to share something, a passage you would like to read that, that you really like, or you want people to hear, but, what would you like people to hear in particular, Hillary? Yeah, so I think I can read, if you want me to read something, sure, I can. Uh, Let's from, do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is actually from one of my favorite chapters of the book. Um, it's called The Power of Belief. Um, so here we go. It's going to be a little insight into my, how my mind works. So chapter five, The Power of Belief. Sometimes I think the mind is the strongest part of an athlete. It's not the legs or lungs or heart, but the mind. Strength comes from how an athlete handles pressure and pain and problem solves when things go south. I wrote this mantra down two weeks after I was told I would never run again. Believe. Believe your best athletic days are ahead of you. Believe in your power. Believe in your strength. Don't stop believing. Some days I looked at these words and shook my head. How could believing make any difference? Believing doesn't do my training for me or get me up a mountain on a hot summer day. My legs do that. My strength does that. My body does that. I needed to be strong physically. Believing, I thought, had no part in getting me there. Wow. Well done. Now you wrote that two weeks after your accident, that was way before you recovered. That was when you're still mm -hmm. getting repeated surgeries to remove pins and things like that. So that's dramatic. I mean, now if you had written that after you had staged a full recovery, I thought, okay, fine. But that you wrote that right after the accident, that's impressive. 
Yeah. So that's why I think the book is interesting because I was documenting how I felt. Like I said, writing has always been a, a form of expression for me where I can, I can just be completely honest. And so I would take the, these kind of journal entries or, you know, reflect on these feelings that I would have. I was literally going back in, you know, things that I wrote when I was going through my recovery in real time. And then I would expand on them and I would write about it. Um, in the book. So it, it documents, you know, the earliest parts of my recovery. Um, and in fact, the, the last chapter is, um, another one of my favorites. Uh, well, it's like the second to last chapter, but, um, going back to Trumso. Um, so I write about that experience, uh, where I went back to the race and completed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was it? That's very interesting. So it, was the, it wasn't just the same course, but that you went back to the same race. Yes, yeah, so it was. It was this the same exact course that I did two years prior. Um, and in fact, I did it with the man who rescued me that day. He was the first guy who came down and scrambled down. He saw me fall and he came down and he was the first person to, you know, pull me from the edge and initiate the rescue operation. Um and we've obviously become pretty close friends. And uh, he he completed the race with me. Um, Dang. Well, okay, okay. I, I have to ask. Here's an obvious question, but I have to ask it. How did you feel? So you're coming <laughs> up on the spot. Did you say, hey, whatever, or I kind of steal myself, I got this, or did your knees turn to jelly? I mean, how did that go? Yeah. So actually I planned for this, you know, I'm a planner. Um, so I arrived to Trumso on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday, I went with Manu just to hike up to that spot to see it again. And because I didn't want to just put the first time that I was seeing this, this, this spot where that I nearly died, like during a race. Um, cause I didn't know what would happen. And, um, I, ironically it was, pretty, there was, it was pretty anticlimactic. Um, I didn't cry. Um, I was just kind of, I felt, I felt, um, my heart rate spiked there. I felt like my hair go up on end when I visited this spot, but, um, I felt this kind of sense of panic, um, and just wanting to get out of there, even though I didn't even really recognize the spot, but somehow my body remembered. Um, and so, actually that was on a Wednesday and the rest of the day I was just kind of in silence and, um, just kind of trying to process everything. In fact, I looked for flights home because I didn't think I'd want to stay. Um, I didn't think I wanted to do the race. And then, um, I kind of gave it some time and, um, I decided to kick the rust off and do the vertical kilometer. Uh, <laughs> that, that's kicking some serious rust. Oh yeah. I definitely tasted some blood in that one. Uh, <laughs> but, and then I actually got second in that race. And after that I was like, all right, I have nothing to lose. And then when I went back to that Ridge Humper Rock and Ridge um, during the race, that was actually one of the happiest moments and the highest moments in the entire race. I remember laughing and joking with Manu and, you know, seeing the, the race volunteers on the, on the course, um, several of which had been there the, on the day of the accident two years prior. Um, so it was really, it felt more like a celebration. Um, Dang. And, yeah. Wow. <laughs> felt like a celebration. I like it. That's a, that's a good comeback. <laughs> 
and I didn't die. So it didn't happen again. <laughs> I, uh, I was actually pretty afraid, honestly, going into the race of, you know, what if it ha- what if something happens again? Um, and so being able to do it with Manu was a lot of confidence. In fact, I invited my mother back to, to cheer for me at the race because, you know, she had flown out to, to meet me in the hospital, um, two years before. So I felt that she deserved kind of a, also a fresh start with new memories. Um, so that was really special to see her there. Um, yeah. I wonder if how Manu felt because sometimes it's the person you're with that has the PTSD. For example, I once took the flight for life helicopter and it, uh, going back to the scene of the accident, didn't have much meaning for me. I was like, that's in the past. It's like, and of course I was so injured. I was kind of out of it. And so your your brain has a way of just flipping the switch, Mm -hmm. but the people who are, who see it, like when Manu saw you fall, he probably had a significant amount of trauma from just watching that. Absolutely. And in fact, Manu said that, that so me coming back to the race, um, that was the first time I had seen him, you know, since he had saw me in the hospital. Um, And it literally, it brought tears to his eyes because he couldn't believe that I was not only standing there in front of me, because the last time he saw me, I was you know, on the side of the cliff or in the hospital bed. Of course, he had seen me, the recovery through social media, but actually in person. So it was it was really powerful. And um, he even told me that it, he had to take a break from running um, after, after my accident um, because he couldn't do it. And uh, s- similarly, Ian Corliss, he was a photographer. Um, he's a very famous photographer in the world of sky running and, um, and ultra running. And he was there that day and he actually saw the accident happen as well. And he, he was traumatized by it. Um, as well as Martina Valmasoy, uh, she's also a photographer, skier and runner for Solomon and, um, the same thing. So, because they thought they were, you know, had witnessed my death and, um, yeah, in fact, I had like a. I had seen Martina in my first race back um, since the, from the injury about 10 months after the initial accident. And um, it was uh, like when I saw her during the Broken Arrow Sky Race um, in 2018 and she was taking photos. And I remember reaching the, the summit of the, of the race and just seeing her and, um, you know, just started crying and she started crying and um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because our own brain protects itself. Right. It flips the switch. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't really want to experience this. No. It's, it can live in our bodies and in our psyche, but not in our consciousness. While the people who saw it, it's in their consciousness. Right. So for me, exactly. Like I still have a dream of me falling, but it, you know, it's a dream. So it's like, it's definitely in my subconscious. It's there, but you know, I don't see visions of me falling, right? Like that comes to me when I sleep or, you know, it's deep down in there somewhere, but as opposed to someone else who actually saw that happen, I think it can take a different form of trauma. Right. Well, this book, I am looking forward to reading this book. I'm just this conversation, you know, for the written show notes, I try to pick up a few highlights. I'm sitting over here furiously scribbling notes here, but wait a minute. I don't have to do this. I just have to read the book way easier. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I encourage everyone else to do the same. So also in our written show notes will be a link to purchase the book, as well as a link to your website. And uh, on the website will be a link, your links to where the upcoming tours and virtual chats are. Mm -hmm. So this is good, Hillary. I like this out <laughs> and back. I like it. Yeah. Uh, what, as we always ask, what's next for you? Of course, right now you're just in this, you're doing the book tour, mm -hmm. but you're, are you still running? You're going to, you're going to keep writing, I hope, so we can keep doing things together. Yeah, of course. Uh, that's obviously a priority of mine. Um, so yeah, after the, you know, the dust settles with this, um, yeah, I have a couple actually bike races planned. Um, so that, and then, you oh, know, I'm sorry, what's the other one? Oh, so this is the Colorado to Utah. Oh, you you got into that? I did, yeah. Okay, well, see you there. <laughs> yeah. So you know, doing those things, I like to I I like to switch it up, and I really love riding my bike, especially gravel bikes. So um, I have to do those races. Um, and then you know, seeing how the COVID uh, you know situation allows for travel, um, but wanna you know, so UTMB. Um, but if not, then there's plenty of adventures to get into stateside. Um, so. You know, some FKTs buzz. Yeah, some FKTs indeed. We we're receiving right now what about thirty or forty submissions per day, and they're from all over the world. The Great Britain is very active right now for some reason. Got this odd ebb and flow. I can't figure out why, but uh, yeah, they're it's <laughs> they're bored from being locked up. I'm <laughs> Right, right. So it's uh, the, the 2021 has gotten off to a fast FKT start. That's for sure. Um, you, you're to Santa Torado, which is going across the entire skyline above Boulder, and the Mummy Mania, which mm -hmm. is in the Mummy Range, a great traverse, a high traverse. That's that's your thing. Like in races, same thing. Lavaredo, Broken Arrow, Transvolcania. You you like to go up high on tough terrain. Yep. <laughs> the hilly yeah, goat. Exactly. So, you know, searching for um searching for different FKTs that, you know, can can challenge me in that way. There's a ton of that that terrain here in the US. So if uh, travel isn't isn't possible, then I see, you know, there's plenty of things to do, not only in Colorado, but Wyoming, California, you know, some iconic routes that, you know, Buzz you've helped design. So yeah. yeah, you mentioned the Sierra High Route a number of years ago. Yeah. I know. See, that was actually the Sierra High Route. This could be another perfect closure because the Sierra High Route is supposed to do in 2017, but I fell off a cliff, so I wasn't able to. So, okay. Back. All right. And <laughs> I would like to close this with something you said a few minutes ago and what you and I have talked about in person. I liked your comment. Rule number one. Don't huck big air. And uh, it's a pretty good rule. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about that on the, on the bike because, you know, you, you can, there's corners, you can descend at various rates of speed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you back it off a little bit, you're going to give up 10 seconds. That That's it. Yeah. But if you don't back it up and you go over and you do an endo, you could be giving up two months. Two months versus 10 seconds. So it's not, I mean, the risk benefit ratio is pretty clear to us, isn't it? Right. I know. That's why I appreciate riding with you. Plus, if you know, if you want to get that 10 seconds back, just push it up the climb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Exactly, exactly. Which, uh, well, to be perfectly transparent here, I actually do have to get that 10 seconds back because you uh, you ride me off your wheel going up the climb, so I <laughs> rely on the downhill. But still, for our, our closing comment here is to everyone who, who appreciates good strategy, it's not worth the 10 seconds to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more, Buzz. <laughs> Well, you sound terrific. This is a delightful conversation. I really look forward to reading the book. 